Welcome to Faithful Echoes, the sermon podcast from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. New episodes are available every Monday featuring the Collect of the Day, Scripture readings, and Father Joel Huffstetler's insightful sermon from the previous Sunday. Perfect for catching up on missed sermons or revisiting favorites, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and our website at www.stlukescleveland.org backslash podcast. Subscribe now for spiritual reflections that fit seamlessly into your week. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Second Kings. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elisha said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. When Elijah, then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes 
and tore them in two pieces. The word of the Lord. The psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 51 to 6, found on page 654 of the Book of Common Prayer. We will read responsibly by half verse. The Lord, the God of gods, has spoken. He has called the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, perfect in its beauty. God reveals himself in glory. Our God will come and will not keep silence. Before him there is a consuming flame, and round about him a raging storm. He calls the heavens and the earth from above to witness the judgment of his people. Gather before me my loyal followers, those who have made a covenant with me and sealed it with sacrifice. Let the heavens declare the rightness of his cause, for God himself is judge. A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. <laughs> then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. Amen. Amen. Good morning. As always, it's a pleasure to, uh, and an honor to be able to share with the congregation at St. Luke's. My wife, Leslie, and I are part of the 8 a.m. early morning uh, service, and it's always a pleasure to be able to interact with the other services. So thanks, Father Joel, for the opportunity. 
as always. Uh, it's also been a pleasure to see, uh, as we have noted, the growth in the congregation here at St. Luke's and the prosperity that we've been experiencing. All three services have had quite a few people, and this is just a great thing to see. And uh, also give a shout out to the people online. Welcome. Uh, if you go to the St. Luke's Facebook page, you can see there's quite a lot of activity there. And uh, so uh, for anyone that's watching this online, please show some online love uh, with a like or uh, a comment. Welcome, everyone, to this important feast day known far and wide as Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> so we're very grateful that you've elected to spend uh, part of your day with us today. Of course, the Super Bowl is not a feast day of the church, in spite of any occasional reference one might hear to a Hail Mary. Today is actually known in liturgical circles around the world as the important feast day of the Transfiguration. It's the last Sunday before the Lenten season begins, Ash Wednesday, uh, this coming week, or this week actually, and uh, which happens to fall on Valentine's Day this year, so have fun figuring that out. As Father Joel has indicated over the last couple of weeks, the Gospel of Mark places us right into the action of the first days of the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. Unlike the other, many of the other Gospels, we don't get an introduction, we don't get a genealogy, we don't get a nativity story. We cut straight to Jesus as he steps dripping from the Jordan River, freshly baptized, and then he's off to Capernaum, and then he's getting things done. And uh, Mark then gives us a series of rapid-fire, powerful bursts of activity interspersed with brilliant flashes of wisdom from Christ's parables and teachings as he travels throughout Judea. And it's get this feel in Mark. It only takes about 45 minutes to read if you sit down and read it. You get this feel that there's not a moment to spare. So he covers the first three and a half years of Christ's ministry in the first 10 chapters. The last six chapters, a third of the gospel are dedicated to the final days of Christ in Jerusalem. But in chapter 9, our reading for today, we pause for an event that's considered by many to be an important midway part in the ministry of Christ, if not one of the most important moments in the New Testament and in the development of Christianity itself. In his wonderful little book, Meeting God in Mark, former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, reminds us first that the traditional symbol for the Gospel of Mark is the lion. And then he adds C.S. Lewis's warning from the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion. And in line with this lion symbol, the Christ of the Gospel of Mark is a genuine force of nature, a whirlwind, if you will, a being of great deep feeling and power, moved to deep compassion by the needs of the people around him, infused with energy and unwavering purpose. As Father Joel indicated last week, Jesus stays on message as he moves to the next thing and the next thing. And recall for the people that saw these events, three and a half years is not a long time. It goes by in a blink, but it gives us eternal significance that remains to this day. As Rowan Williams and many others suggest, the drive of Christ in Mark is to announce the arrival of a new kingdom, 
to declare a radical change of regime. Only it wasn't the obvious kind of regime change that people were thinking of. Jesus proposed to change the world by pulling the blindfold from our eyes. And this moment on the mountain is exactly that. I was part of a uh, party game once long ago, and uh, I was asked to stand on a plank, and there were four guys on each corner of the plank, and they blindfolded me and told me to stand very still on the plank, and they put my hands on the shoulders of one of the guys. And then, uh, with a lot of uh, grunting, they began to lift me off of the floor with the plank, telling me again to believe very still. And as I rose higher and higher, the audience, you know, the rest of the people in the room were going, ooh, ah, oh, you know, and, you know. And after a while, you know, and I'm feeling the shoulders of the guy that I'm holding on to get lower and lower as I get higher and higher. And I'm not very happy at this stage because the board is not terribly stable. And these guys are starting to groan like I'm, my weight's too much for them. And then finally everybody yells and the board tips over and I fall and scream, except they had never moved the board from the floor. All they had done is crouch down while I was standing on the board. And so everyone gets a huge laugh out of my embarrassment and my over obvious overreaction to the event. And I was obviously embarrassed uh, only so long as it took them to find another victim and then I could laugh at their expense. But for a few frightening seconds, all the available evidence told me that I had been lifted high into the air, and I was in serious danger of breaking an arm. In his ministry on earth, Jesus is always challenging the evidence available to the limited view of those around him. He's always ripping off the blindfold. He sees so much more than we see. And the universe in which he walks has qualities to it that we don't perceive. When the diseased and the disabled and the disregarded come to him or are carried to him, Christ always sees something different than the people around him. When the leper in Mark 1 falls to his knees before him, Christ doesn't see a leper. He sees a person, fully as he is, someone tormented by disease, his life stolen away, his dreams churned to dust, utterly rejected by his community, living in an exile ratified by the priest according to the law. And as he did so often, Jesus, moved by compassion, reached across invisible barriers between the person and everyone else. And with an outrageously risky touch and the words, I will, the man's disease, like a mask, melts away. Suddenly, everyone sees what Jesus sees. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what the miracles were for. They weren't magic tricks. Nor were they merely about meeting people's needs. They were about creating radical change in the order of things, about seeing the world as God's kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They were about overcoming our reliance on the limited available evidence of our understanding, our constricted assumptions, biases, and expectations. 
This is exactly what happens for Peter, James, and John atop the mountain. It's not so much that Christ is transfigured as that their blindfold is lowered for a few moments. And they catch a glimpse of Jesus in his world, the world in which Christ walks and operates, where his coming is a fulfillment of human hopes for centuries, a completion of the law and the prophets represented by his mountaintop conversation with Elijah and Moses. That fulfillment, to the disappointed surprise of many, isn't about restoring the throne of David or establishing any kind of political nation or even installing a priesthood dedicated to the law. It's about making ordinary people on the street whole again, about restoring people in mind, body, and soul so that as they direct their attention toward the Father, the binding love between heaven and earth extends relationally to their neighbors. And each one can now be an instrument for restoring that same wholeness to others. This is what we do symbolically in our congregation when we pass the peace to one another as part of the, lit of the liturgy. We are, in fact, invoking the Jewish concept of shalom, peace of mind, body, and soul to one another. And it's a wonderfully Christian thing to do. Why does Jesus ask the disciples to say nothing? For the same reason, he repeats this injunction throughout the Gospel of Mark. Neither this moment on the mountain nor the miracles of Christ were meant as some all-convincing display of power. In Meeting God in Mark, Rowan Williams says, the real secret in this gospel is that the event which will change everything, which will bring in the regime of God, which will forgive sins and release people from guilt and fear, is not an event brought about by naked power. The God who is going to change everything, change forever, the conditions in which human beings live, is a God who is beyond power as we understand it. A God who does not coerce belief or clinch arguments, but who repeatedly demands relation and trust. Just a word about Peter's infamous suggestion that they erect three shrines then and there on the mountain. The gospel in one of those clues that suggests that Peter's might be the voice behind the writer says he was confused when he said it and terrified. But the word that interests me here is translated in English as good. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And the word uh, in Greek suggests an advantageous or useful good. But Peter's sense of the use to be made from the moment of revelation is to enshrine it, as if such a thing could be packaged, preserved, and put on a shelf. Jesus pulls off the blindfold again when they get down off the mountain <clears throat> in the same chapter, when the disciples are bickering about who is going to be the most important in their uh, natural obsession with personal power. Jesus again emphasizes that the gospel is not about displays of power. Again, Christ emphasizes that it's not about being elevated in authority about others. It's about diakonos, about being the servants of everyone else, about being childlike, about giving people a cup of water in his name, about being salt and light in the world 
which is how the chapter ends. So you have these wonderful bookends, the voice of God rumbling on the ridge, like the voice that Elijah heard in the mountain, the voice that Moses heard from Sinai. And then you have this utterly pedestrian kitchen table salt illustration. And Jesus says, focus on the salt. St. Paul came to understand all this, as we see in his thought expressed in today's reading from his letter to the Corinthians. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've probably all seen a movie or TV show, usually a horror or a comedy, where one of the characters is stumbling around in the dark trying to see things by the light of a single match. And of course, the match always goes out at the most inopportune moment, right? As each one of us has or continues to deal with our own periods of darkness, isn't it a comfort to know at the Feast of Transfiguration that Christ did not come merely to endorse a brand of matches? He came to turn the light on. Amen.